listening to the sermon podcast of Brockport First Baptist. We are a progressive American Baptist congregation located about 20 minutes outside of Rochester, New York. To learn more about our church and support our ministries, please visit BrockportFirstBaptist.org. As uh, we continue through our uh, journey through Daniel, we'll read chapter 4, verse 1 through 37. This is a very long verse, so maybe grab an extra cup of coffee and make yourself comfortable. Uh, there's a couple names in here that I'm, I might not do so good, but I will do my best to channel my inner Martha Glasquin. <laughs> King Nebuchadnezzar, to all peoples, nations, and languages that live throughout the earth, may you have abundant prosperity. The signs and wonders that the Most High God has worked for me, I am pleased to recount. How great are his signs, how mighty his wonders. His kingdom is an everlasting kingdom, and his sovereignty is from generation to generation. I, Nebuchadnezzar, was living at ease in my home and prospering in my palace. I saw a dream that frightened me. My fantasies in bed and the visions of my head terrified me. So I made a decree that all the wise men of Babylon should be brought before me in order that they might tell me the interpretation of the dream. Then the magicians, the enchanters, the Chaldeans, and the diviners came in, and I told them the dream, but they could not tell me its interpretation. At last Daniel came in before me, he who was named Belteshazzar, after the name of my God, and who is endowed with the spirit of the holy gods. And I told him the dream. O Belteshazzar, chief of the magicians, I know that you are endowed with the spirit of the holy gods, and that no mystery is too difficult for you. Hear the dream that I saw. Tell me its interpretation. Upon my bed, this is what I saw. There was a tree at the center of the earth, and its height was great. The tree grew great and strong, its top reached to heaven, and it was visible to the ends of the whole earth. Its foliage was beautiful, its fruit abundant, and it provided food for all. The animals of the field found shade under it, the birds of the air nested in its branches, and from it all living beings were fed. I continued looking in the visions of my head as I lay in bed, And there was a holy watcher coming down from heaven. He cried aloud and said, Cut down the tree and chop off its branches. Strip off its foliage and scatter its fruit. Let the animals flee from beneath it and the birds from its branches. But leave its stump and roots in the ground with a band of iron and bronze in the tender grass of the field. Let him be bathed with the dew of heaven, and let his lot be with the animals of the field in the grass of the earth. Let his mind be changed from that of a human, and let the mind of an animal be given to him, and let seven times pass over him. The sentence is rendered by decree of the watchers. The decision is given by order of the holy ones, in order that all who live may know that the Most High is sovereign over the kingdom of mortals. He gives it to whom he will, and sets over it the lowliest of human beings. This is the dream that I, King Nebuchadnezzar, saw. 
Now you, Belteshazzar, declare the interpretation, since all the wise men of my kingdom are unable to tell me the interpretation. You are able, however, for you are endowed with the spirit of the holy gods. Then Daniel, who was called Belteshazzar, was severely distressed for a while. His thoughts terrified him. The king said, Belteshazzar, do not let the dream or the interpretation terrify you. Belteshazzar answered, My lord, may the dream be for those who hate you and its interpretation for your enemies. The tree that you saw, which grew great and strong, so that its top reached to heaven and was visible to the end of the whole earth, whose foliage was beautiful and its fruit abundant, and which provided food for all, under which animals of the field lived, and in whose branches the birds of the air had nests. It is you, O king. You have grown great and strong. Your greatness has increased and reaches to heaven, and your sovereignty to the ends of the earth. And whereas the king saw a holy watcher coming down from heaven and saying, Cut down the tree and destroy it, but leave its stump and roots in the ground, with a band of iron and bronze in the grass of the field, and let him be bathed with the dew of heaven, and let his lot be with the animals of the field until seven times pass over him. This is the interpretation, O king, and it is a decree of the Most High that has come upon my lord the king. You shall be driven away from human society, and your dwelling shall be with the wild animals. You shall be made to eat grass like oxen. You shall be bathed with the dew of heaven, and seven times pass over you, until you have learned that the Most High has sovereignty over the kingdom of mortals, and gives it to whom he will. As it was commanded to leave the stump and roots of the tree, your kingdom shall be reestablished for you from the time that you learn that heaven is sovereign. Therefore, O king, may my counsel be acceptable to you. Atone for your sins with righteousness and your iniquities with mercy to the oppressed, so that your prosperity may be prolonged. All this came upon King Nebuchadnezzar. At the end of 12 months, he was walking on the roof of the royal palace of Babylon. And the king said, Is this not magnificent Babylon, which I have built as a royal capital by my mighty power and by, for my glorious majesty? While the words were still in the king's mouth, the voice came from heaven. O King Nebuchadnezzar, to you it is declared, the kingdom has departed from you. You shall be driven away from human society, and your dwelling shall be with the animals of the field. You shall be made to eat grass like oxen, and seven times shall pass over you, until you have learned that the Most High has sovereignty over the kingdom of mortals, and gives it to whom he will. Immediately the sentence was fulfilled against Nebuchadnezzar. He was driven away from human society, ate grass like oxen, and his body was bathed with the dew of heaven until his hair grew as long as eagles, feathers, and his nails became like birds' claws. When that period was over, I, Nebuchadnezzar, lifted my eyes to heaven and my reason returned to me. I blessed the Most High and praised and honored the one who lives forever. For his sovereignty is an everlasting sovereignty, and his kingdom endures from generation to generation. All the inhabitants of the earth are accounted as nothing, 
and he does what he wills with the host of heaven and the inhabitants of the earth. There is no one who can stay his hand or say to him, what are you doing? At that time, my reason returned to me, and my majesty and splendor were restored to me for the glory of my kingdom. My counselors and my lord sought me out. I was reestablished over my kingdom, and still more greatness was added to me. Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and extol and honor the king of heaven. For all his works are truth, and his ways are justice, and he is able to bring low those who walk in pride. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. And thank you for that reading, Kerr. You deserve a round of applause for that one. <laughs> that was awesome. Of course, there's no one here to clap, so sorry about that. <clears throat> They're clapping at home, though. I can hear it. <laughs> so that was kind of a weird passage, right? <laughs> like, this, this is a strange one. Um, those of you who are following along at home are probably, like, scratching your head right now, saying, like, what did I just read? If you follow our church on social media, uh, especially if you follow us on YouTube, where I know many of you are, are uh, live streaming the service right now, um, you know that every other week or so, we've been putting out sermon talkback videos. These are videos where I answer your questions about the sermon. So if you have a question about this one, and how could you not with that reading, um, go ahead and send them in. You can send your uh, questions directly to the church via email, brockportfirstbaptist at gmail.com, uh, and they might end up in a future sermon talkback video. As I said a moment ago, this is a pretty weird story. Like, this is one you probably don't remember uh, from Sunday school as a kid. It's not like last week's story, you know, the fiery furnace. We all remember that one from Sunday school, you know, with three guys being thrown into an oven. We'll, like, we'll slap a nice little moral on that one and teach it to kids. But the story where King Nebuchadnezzar thinks he's a cow for seven years and, like, goes around in the wilderness eating grass, kind of hard to moralize that one. So what do we do? This is such a weird story. Let's get into it. Um, I want to break it down a little bit. I'm not going to reread the story, but I do want to like talk through it kind of piece by piece uh, just to make sure we're all following along, following like the flow and the plot line of this one. Story starts out with a testimony from King Nebuchadnezzar, which like that in itself is a little jarring, right? King Nebuchadnezzar, who has been the villain up to this point in the story, he's now our main character. We're getting his point of view in this one. And Nebuchadnezzar offers this testimony about all the wonderful things that Daniel's God, the Most High God, has done for him. And the testimony starts with a dream. Nebuchadnezzar has a nightmare, and he doesn't know what it means. We've been here before, right? Like, if you've been following along, this should be a little familiar. Back in chapter 2, Nebuchadnezzar had another dream. That one was about a giant statue that reaches up into the heavens. The statue symbolized Nebuchadnezzar and his kingdom. And the statue reached up into the sky, and then a rock from heaven came and smashed it to pieces. Now he has a dream about a giant tree that reaches up into the heavens until a watcher from heaven comes down and chops the tree into a bunch of pieces. Do we see a connection here? Are we like connecting the dots on this one? 
He sees this tree, it's a massive tree, big, uh, beautiful, luscious branches. Um, Birds and animals of all sort come from all corners of the world to nestle under this tree, eat from its fruit. The tree is so big, it can be seen from everywhere on earth. So Nebuchadnezzar, clearly a flat earther. But then, a watcher from heaven comes down. Think like an angel coming down, and this is what the watcher has to say. Verse 14, cut down the tree and chop off its branches. Strip off its foliage and scatter its fruit. Let the animals flee from beneath it and the birds from its branches, but leave its stump and roots in the ground with a band of iron and bronze and the tender grass of the field. Let him, now this tree is a man apparently, Let him be bathed with the dew of heaven, and let his lot be with the animals of the field and the grass of the earth. Let his mind be changed from that of a human, now the tree is a human, and let the mind of an animal be given to him. And let seven times pass over him. The sentence is rendered by decree of the watchers. The decision is given by order of the holy ones, in order that all who live may know that the Most High is sovereign over the kingdom of mortals." God gives it to whom he will and sets over it the lowliest of human beings. This is quite a dream. Nebuchadnezzar describes this dream and he has all of his dream interpreters, magicians, sorcerers, they all come to interpret this dream for him, but none of them are able to tell him what it means. Which is kind of weird, right? I mean, like, The interpretation of this dream seems pretty clear. You don't need like a degree in dream sorcery to figure out this one. So the king turns to Belteshazzar, a.k.a. Daniel, our hero, this Jewish refugee who is the chief magician and who has faithfully interpreted the king's dreams before. Daniel is apparently the only one with guts enough to tell the king what the dream actually means. And Daniel says, my lord... May this dream be for those who hate you. I wish this dream was about your enemies, but that tree you saw that grew all big and powerful, it is you, O king. You have grown powerful. Your kingdom stretches to the ends of the earth. You have reached into the heavens, setting yourself up as a god, and the god of heaven is coming to cut you down. I think I understand why the other dream interpreters were a little hesitant to touch this one, right? I mean, this is a guy who, like, throws people in ovens for not bowing to him. It's worth noting, though, with this interpretation, Daniel is not happy about this news. Like, there's no sense of joy or satisfaction here. Deeply troubled by this dream. Daniel doesn't want to see calamity befall the king. His pastoral concern for Nebuchadnezzar is all over this passage. And if nothing else, that should give us pause. You remember the story. This is the king who pillaged Daniel's homeland and destroyed his temple. The temple of God in Jerusalem. This is the king who took Daniel away from his home, his family, his people, and carried him off into exile. And yet when Daniel delivers this prophecy of doom and divine judgment, there's no glee, there's no satisfaction, there's no what goes around comes around. Daniel is sincerely saddened by this news. 
I have a lot of, like, liberal friends who, if something bad were to happen to Donald Trump, if he were to be struck with blindness or something, I have a lot of friends to the left who would be pretty pleased with that. They'd find some satisfaction in it. I also have a lot of more conservative friends who, like, if something bad happened to Joe Biden, they probably wouldn't be too broken up over it, right? Serves them right. This is how our politics work today. Partisans don't just disagree with each other, they hate each other. We hate our fellow citizens, our neighbors who we are commanded to love. We hate them because they vote differently from us. And yet here's Daniel, the hero of our story, addressing a foreign king who has invaded his homeland, taken away everything he knows, destroyed the temple, threw his friends in an oven, attempted to systematically eliminate his culture, and when he conveys the news that God is coming to bring judgment on this king, he does it with sadness. I mean, that could be the whole sermon right there. If you get nothing else out of this service today, meditate on that for the next four years. The dream comes true. A year goes by, Nebuchadnezzar is walking around on the roof of one of his palaces. He's basking in his own glory, and he declares, Is this not magnificent Babylon? which I have built as a royal capital by my mighty power and for my glorious majesty. And while the words are still in his mouth, God takes away his senses. God takes away Nebuchadnezzar's sense of humanity, his mental faculties, however we want to frame it. The king is driven from society. He strips naked and goes off to live in the wilderness with the wild animals eating grass and getting all hairy for seven times, whatever that means. And by the way, no one knows what seven times means in this passage. Could be seven years, could be seven weeks, seven months, seven fortnights, we don't know. But however long it is, the king spends seven times in the wilderness living like a beast until his mental faculties return He has his moment of clarity, he praises God, and God restores the king. Nebuchadnezzar gets his kingdom back. It's almost like the Job story. This is quite a testimony. Like, I don't know about you, I don't know what your conversion story looks like, but I bet it doesn't really compete with this one. And to understand this really weird story, you have to have an appreciation for irony because this story is loaded with irony. The, the storyteller here is using dramatic irony to illustrate how pride destroys us. When we first met King Nebuchadnezzar back in Daniel chapter 2, this is how the king was described. Nebuchadnezzar is the king of kings. To whom the God of heaven has given the kingdom, the power, the might, the glory, into whose hand God has given human beings the wild animals of the field and the birds of the air, and whom God has established as ruler over them all. Nebuchadnezzar rules the animals of the field and the birds of the air. That's Genesis language beasts of the field, the birds of the air. If you're like, hey, I've heard that before, you're right. It's from Genesis chapter 1, the first page of the Bible. 
The Bible begins with this epic sort of poem about the creation of the heavens and the earth. And the writer of Genesis splits creation up over six days. On day five, God creates the birds of the air. On day six, God creates the beasts of the field. And then God makes human beings also on day six to rule over all of it. The human beings are supposed to be God's representatives on the earth. They're supposed to exercise dominion over the birds of the air. We'll just read it. This is Genesis 1, verse 26. This is God speaking. Let us make human beings in our image according to our likeness. Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, the birds of the air, and over the cattle, and over the wild animals of the earth. Daniel leaves out the fish for some reason. I don't know why. He's not a fan of fish. But in this story, you get the birds of the air and the beasts of the field, right? You even get the cattle because Nebuchadnezzar becomes an ox. It's all here, and it's all from Genesis chapter 1. Fundamental to this Jewish story of creation, fundamental to this ancient storyteller's view of the universe is a certain ordering of things. Creation has an order to it. You have God at the top, the creator. Then you get human beings who are God's representatives on the earth, created in God's image, created to partner with God and caring for and governing creation. And then you get the animals, specifically the birds of the air and the beasts of the field. We'll, we'll leave out the fish like Daniel does. We don't have any more room on the slide anyway. And in this story, we meet Nebuchadnezzar, this guy. A king who has taken this charge to rule over creation quite literally. He he rules the entire world at this point. He governs all the beasts of the field, all the birds of the air. Even all the human beings have to bow down to him. He is the tree with branches covering the whole earth. But Nebuchadnezzar leaves out this first part of the ordering of creation. He's amassed so much power, so much wealth, his kingdom is so big that he has mistaken himself for a god. Remember last week's story, the fiery furnace, where Nebuchadnezzar builds a giant statue of himself and makes all the people of the world bow down to it. Nebuchadnezzar put himself in the place of God, and so God puts him in the place of the animals. That is irony. I mean, do you see how this story is working? Do you see what the storyteller is doing here? It's confusing as all get out when you read it. This does not translate very well into English. But once you see it, once you see this inversion, it's kind of brilliant. There's a lot of stuff we could do with this. There's a lot of directions we could go here. We could talk about how empires turn people into beasts, how um, power creates monsters. We could talk about that. That's certainly part of like the ancient political commentary in Daniel. We could talk about how empire dehumanizes people, how it reduces us to numbers, a means to an end. That's in this text as well. But I want to make it a little bit more personal, and I want to talk about pride for a minute, because this is also a passage about pride and how pride dehumanizes us. 
Few of us will ever run a global empire, but there's a little bit of this Nebuchadnezzar-type pride in us all. By our nature as human beings, we like to build things. We like to make something. It's part of our design, part of how God formed us to do something, take creation and make something out of it. Nebuchadnezzar made a kingdom. Some people build families. Others build careers or reputations, retirements, and education. In ministry, we talk about building the church. This is how we're wired. It's, it's part of God's good creation, but our wiring can go wrong when pride enters the mix. When that thing you're building becomes more important than the God who commissioned you to build it. When our egos get so big, we start hurting people. We sacrifice relationships and the well-being of others to get what we want. When people become a means to an end for us, that's when we have a Nebuchadnezzar situation on our hands, and it could be anything. I knew a guy in Pennsylvania uh, who ran a really successful church, big church, started out as um, a house church, just like 15 or 16 people meeting in someone's living room, but it grew and grew, eventually having close to 1,000 members, multiple ca- uh, campuses, big staff. It was a big church, what most of us would call a successful ministry. But this guy's kids, who are like grown-ups now, they have nothing to do with them. They don't talk to them, haven't spoken in years. That relationship was sacrificed to build this church. His marriage is a mess. This big staff he built is loaded with all sorts of unhealthy power dynamics, burnout, moral failings. This church, this thing that this pastor built became more important than the God who commissioned him to build it. Is this not magnificent Babylon, which I have built as a royal capital to my mighty power? Is this not a magnificent business? Is this not a magnificent family? Is this not a magnificent project, a magnificent career, a magnificent retirement? Is this not a magnificent church that we have built, with God's help, of course, for our mighty power? You see how this can happen with anything, even good things. Anything can become a source of pride and idolatry that distracts us from God, distorting the order of creation and ultimately robbing us of our humanity. If we want to avoid this, We want to overcome pride, try to stay humble, avoid having God send a watcher from heaven to chop us down. We can actually glean some good pointers from Nebuchadnezzar's story, and it's pretty straightforward. Begins with seeking clarity. Nebuchadnezzar's conversion began the moment his clarity returned to him. Daniel called him to clarity before all hell broke loose. He didn't listen, and so it took a complete break the loss of everything for him to come to his senses. Hopefully it doesn't take that, that much loss in our lives. And this is where we need to ask, who are your voices of clarity? Who is your Daniel? 
the friends, the family members, the community that speaks into your life and challenges you? Who holds you accountable? Who says, you know, I think you might be in over your head on this one? Your boss might actually have a point there. All this success is great, but how's your marriage doing? Who are the people in your life? What are those voices that challenge you, bring you back down to earth, provide clarity? Listen to them. Seek clarity, and then above all else, honor God. Praise and worship God. Give God the glory. Make God your source of power and strength. What does your prayer life look like? Where's your intimacy with God? Are you spending time in worship, even if it's virtual? Are you surrounding yourself with godly voices, godly inputs, godly influences? When times get hard, do you lean on your own strength, your own cunning to kind of get out of it, or do you turn to God? Is God your source of identity, or is it something else? Is there a story shaping your life that is bigger than the next project, the next career move, the next whatever? Two steps, pretty straightforward. Seek clarity, honor God, and then like Nebuchadnezzar, we can lay down our pride and declare with one voice, praise and extol and honor to the King of heaven, for all his works are truth and his ways are justice. God is able to bring low those who walk in pride. Let's pray. God, thank you for practical lessons that come to us in the form of really weird stories. God, help us to check our pride and honor you. Surround us with the the love, the support, the voices, the hard voices of people who love us enough to challenge us. God, lead us to clarity and to worship you first above all. We ask this in your name. Amen. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed what you heard, please be sure to rate, review, and subscribe to this podcast on iTunes. You can connect with us on Facebook at Brockport First Baptist, on Twitter at BrockportFB, and on our website, BrockportFirstBaptist.org. Our theme music was composed by Scott Holmes. This has been a production of Brockport First Baptist.